Hello, everyone. Welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about my journey through cinema. I am your host, Patrick, and you can find me on Letterboxd. As usual, my name is Long Monkey, all one word, and you can find my writing and other projects at proleary.com. Today, it's just me, so I'll be talking about a few movies I've seen recently and then doing a little dive into a very current segment of cinema. And remember, stick around for an uncommon film recommendation at the end. So let's kick it off. The first movie I watched this week was Soul by Pete Docter, the new Pixar movie from 2020. Soul is, I don't want to give too much away about what Soul is, but I do want to say that Pixar is getting very good about obfuscating the message of the movie. Soul could have had a couple very obvious messages uh, at the end, and it did, it took all the way to the end to, for me to realize what it was trying to say. And it does so in an extremely imaginative way. The first uh, act of the movie takes place in this alternate uh, sort of waiting room before the afterlife where souls are processed and souls are uh, getting ready to be given new life. And it's just, it's such like a trippy environment, very cool and imaginative animations and character designs. It's a lot of fun and it builds up really well to a heartfelt ending that I really enjoyed. Soul reminded me a lot of Onwards, Pixar's last movie in a way. Onwards was not as good. Onwards had, Onward had, um, uh, a fun third act and it kind of took a while for me to really get on board with what was happening. But the, at the ending of the movie, the message that was given floored me. Like it knocked me for a loop because I was not anticipating that. And that's good writing that they were able to pull off that message on that movie. And Soul, uh, although not as blindsiding, is a really great, uh, it's just a really great movie that, that builds up well to a nice ending. Uh, next movie I watched was a short film, and I guess you'll see why I watched this a little later in the episode, but this one is called Snow, Steam, and Iron. Snow, Steam, Iron, 2017, directed by Zack Snyder. It's only four minutes long. It's a it's sort of a silent, very, very visually arresting film. It's hard to t- say exactly what this movie is about since it's sh- so short, and I don't want to give anything away, but it's about... Women uh, being taken advantage of and uh, fighting back in various ways. It's a theme that he's uh, used before. This one, I think, works really well because it's only a few minutes long. And it is, he's such a great shot composer. Uh, when when you don't have to worry about story or anything like that, his shots are just really cool looking. He'd be a, He's probably a great visual artist if he uh, had a different medium. But... In film, you can at least make shots look really cool. And this is four minutes of shots looking really cool that tell a more coherent story than most of his other movies. So, yeah, I would uh, recommend recommend this for a short little trip into Get Your Zack Snyder Fix, Snow, Steam, Iron. Next on my list is a movie from 1958 called Cairo Station. Cairo Station is directed by Yosef Chahin. I've never seen one of his movies before, but he's probably the most famous Egyptian filmmaker out there. This is about this uh, huge train station in Cairo and the various people that inhabit it, uh, focusing on a poor newspaper delivery man 
who kind of wound up there through unclear means, but he's lame and he doesn't have much going for him. And he's in love with this woman who delivers uh, soft drinks to people on, on the trains and around the platform. There's also a subplot about this union that is trying to be formed for all the, the train workers and the, the opposing sides of that. And then the movie kind of really goes into a thriller direction where our main character, the newspaper delivery boy, becomes overly obsessed with his love, who wants nothing to do with him, which leads to so almost like a Hitchcockian uh, third act, which I found very engaging. This movie, it's, it's lively, uh, has interesting characters. It's a good view of this world that I didn't really know anything about. So, uh, yeah, this is a good one. This is Cairo Station by Yusef Chaheen, 1958. Wow. Okay, next is another classic. This one from an American director that I'm sure most of you have heard of, Martin Scorsese, Mean Streets from 1973. So I always thought that De Niro was the star of this one, not having seen it before, but it really is Harvey Keitel. De Niro just has a very, very explosive and engaging and exciting character that he plays. But the movie is about Harvey Keitel, who's the nephew of a mobster. And he's kind of like a, he's kind of like a, he's a good guy who's trying to juggle a lot of different things and figure out where his life is uh, what direction he wants for his life. He's in love with a woman that the mobster father does not approve of. He's through some obligations. He's trying to help his deadbeat friend played by Robert De Niro, who uh, owes money to everybody around town and just has no responsibility about it whatsoever. And of course his mobster father would not approve of that. Mobster uncle would not approve of that. So there's just a, tough choices he has to make in his life. And this is just a movie about that. It's very, it's very gritty. It's very realistic in how it's portrayed, but then there are flashes of surrealism and Scorsese's kind of doing some Godard like things in it. I think it's a, it's a very interesting mix of like a fresh, young, energetic talent trying to do some, new and interesting things with incredible, incredible young actors that were hanging around him at that time. And it's, yeah, it's definitely a good one. Mean Streets, Scorsese. Next on the list is from another powerhouse director, this time from 2020. It's The Five Bloods by Spike Lee. I'm a huge Spike Lee fan. He is one of the angriest filmmakers out there righteously angry in my opinion and i love that he uses his art to express his anger and it's just great seeing that someone who uses film for more than just telling stories and it's unfortunate that we live in a world where people have to do that but i'm glad spike lee is around to take that role this is a film about four black vietnam vets who return to Vietnam uh, in our current time in order to ostensibly to fetch the body of their fallen commander who died during the war. And there's more to it than that, but I won't go into it. Uh, it has some really great performances. Delroy Lindo, especially, who is the Trump-loving, MAGA-hat-wearing 
uh, loudmouth controlling member of the group. And it's a interesting character to have to play someone who is, uh, an African American who, who likes Trump and all, and all that he stands for. It's just, it's strange, but Delroy Lindo threads that line. And, um, the other great performance is Chadwick Boseman, uh, RIP. He plays the commander who died, uh, during the war. And he has to, ha- he has to have a performance that can command these four other, like, great, um, almost majestic actors who've been around a while. And he's got to, you know, hold his own with them. And he totally does. He is, he makes a character that makes it work. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, Great, beautiful shots in here. I'm sad that I didn't get to see it in the theater. And I'm sad I probably didn't even play in the theater since it's a Netflix movie. I'm not sure. But it's a, it's a really good one, especially if you like Spike Lee. There are some missteps along the way. It may have gotten a little too big for its britches. But you know what? I Let Spike do what he wants. He's got, he's got his heart in the right place. And it's just, it's always enlightening to watch him sort of, tell a story, but also bring it around to what's going on in the world now. So that's the five bloods. Next is a movie. The first movie I watched in 2021, Den of Thieves, 2018 directed by Christian Gudegast. This stars everybody's B movie action hero, favorite Gerard Butler, Gerard Butler, I've always said, is the king of the B movie, B action movies, because he's so, he's so, I don't know, he's got this like almost tongue in cheek attitude. He's really cool, and he always looks cool, and he kind of picks these fun movies that aren't very good. This is better than most of them. Den of Thieves is about um, a, a group of no good cops who are hunting down some criminals mastermind criminals who are out to do a huge heist and the cops cop it's set up early the cops know who the criminals are criminals criminals know who the cops are and it's just it's a battle of wits a battle of huge personalities because his character Gerard Butler's character is so unlikable so over the top he's a guy who sucks the oxygen out of the every room he's in and he just Larger than life from the opening scene where he's uh, looking over this crime scene at a donut shop and he starts eating the donuts that were thrown on the ground right next to a dead body. It's it's crazy. And then he starts, you know, making fun of the cop who the the FBI guy who comes over to, you know, try to help. And it's you can tell that this character is going to be problematic. But he is, and it's a good way, and it's a great performance. The movie itself is a bit long in the tooth, I think, that there's a big middle section where not much happens, and it's hard. You don't even notice it until closer to the end that not much was happening. Uh, and then the end is a big bombastic action stuff. But yeah, there's some weird things, but overall it's a solid B-movie action, B-action movie. So if you like um, Gerard Butler... Check it out. Den of Thieves. Next one I watched is another Netflix original called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, directed by George C. Wolf from 2020. 
This is an adaptation of an August Wilson play. I had seen Denzel Washington's Fences a couple years ago when it came out and was floored by the characters and the dynamic relationships in that movie. And this is very, very similar. It doesn't, it, it does feel like a play, but there's enough, but the script and the, and the characters are so solid that it's, it moves really fast and you never feel trapped more than you have to in the story. It takes place largely in one location, but I think it's just that everybody is so larger than life that it works, especially the lead Viola Davis as Ma Rainey herself, who is a real person, a real uh, mother of blues. And oh man, what a larger than life character. She is just, I'm speaking cliches, like she leaps off the screen, but she really does. It's a, Oh, she plays a character who knows what she wants is so hard-headed and stubborn but is that way because the world has made her that way and she knows what her status and her voice is worth and she will not take anything less even to the detriment of her relationships with everybody around her uh it's a power powerful performance it's really interesting and the movie's really about her butting heads with Chadwick Boseman again as her uh her trumpet player who has designs to be more than what he is in life he wants to start his own band he wants Ma Rainey's woman he wants a lot more than the world is giving him now and he's got the fiery personality that you think he could do it and it's yeah it's just a it's a pot boiler of a drama with some great dialogue. So I really like this one. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom from 2020. Last on my list before the dive of the week is a movie called The Half of It, also from 2020, also a Netflix original. You can tell that I'm probably uh, purchased my yearly subscription of Netflix. I usually get Netflix for a month every year. And I try to cram in all the exclusive content that I can that they make. Uh, I'm not a fan of TV shows in general. And I'm not a fan how Netflix designs their subscription service. But I do want to see a lot of these movies that I can only see with them. So once a year, I spend my $14 to basically rent all these movies. Um, and that's what I'm doing now. So the latest one was The Half of It by Alice Wu, 2020. This is a philosophical teen romance drama about this young Chinese girl in high school who lives in a way uh, out out of the way town. In this town, she's probably the only minority, at least the only one we see on screen, I believe. And she is in a place in her life where she is ready to go to college, but she can't go far because she's taking care of her father and kind of being the uh, the strong one of the household. Her father doesn't seem to be in a good place in his life. And they're kind of stuck in this dead-end town. And she makes extra money by writing all the essays and doing all the homework for a lot of her students, a lot of students in her class. But she really has no friends until she gets hired to write a love letter 
to one of the more popular girls in the school. And the person who wants to write the love letter is the boy who lives across the street. Alice Wu has found two great leads, three great leads, really. Leah Lewis as our main character and Daniel Deemer as the boy across the street, Paul. And they have really great chemistry. But the movie's not about that love story. It's about the object of Paul's affection, Aster, who Leah falls in love with as well. In fact, she was probably in love with her before this even started. But now they're having conversations through letters and through texts, and it's a Cyrano de Bergerac situation. Uh, but what sets this apart is that the characters do have really good chemistry. Everybody is super charming. And the dialogue is really, really smart. There's so much talk about philosophy and so many quotes by philosophers appearing on the screen and a lot of really beautiful lines of dialogue that uh, are sprinkled throughout the script. There's some really awkward missteps that the movie takes. I'm not a fan of the climax and uh, a couple things around that part of the movie, but it didn't matter because the movie really charmed, charmed me throughout and combine that with some great leads and some great dialogue and you have a, like a winner. Yeah. That's the half of it by Alice Wu from 2020. Now it's time for my small dive of the week. Today, I will be talking about DC superhero movies. With the release of Wonder Woman 1984, I decided to go back and watch Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, the Snyder Cut, first. Because I had seen Batman vs. Superman in the theater, was not a huge fan of it. It's a giant mess of a movie with some interesting ideas, but it doesn't really work. So I decided to watch the new um, the Snyder Cut that was released a couple years ago uh, and now is available on HBO. And it is a much, much better movie than the one that was shown in the theaters doesn't mean it's a good movie though it's a very decent superhero movie again with some interesting ideas there are a lot less plot holes but Zack Snyder and I think most people know this has a very dark pompous aesthetic when it comes to superhero movies that is so opposite what colorful comics were like I'm not a huge comic fan, but I do have, I do appreciate the aesthetic that uh, the comics had when I read them when I was younger. And this doesn't feel that way at all. This feels like they are just modernizing um, these stories and giving them more weight and more heft and making them more serious. And there's nothing wrong with that at all, but it doesn't always work. There's something strange um, and childish about superheroes in general. And when you try to make a serious movie, it loses that charm. And that charm turns into, you got to be really careful with your scripts or that charm is going to turn into kookiness, really. And there's some of that in this movie, for sure. But... It's, 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 it's good. It's good. There's, there's a lot of big action scenes. You get Ben Affleck as Batman doing a pretty decent job. 
you get uh, Superman who actually feels like Superman who is trying to do good and is struggling with his place in the world. And that's an interesting concept. Uh, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot is really great as Wonder Woman. She has the right look. She has the right attitude. And um, when they all come together at the end, it's, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun moment. And it works well in the context of that movie. Do I want to watch it again? No. Do I think there should be more of these movies in this style? Not really, but I'll watch them because this one was entertaining. So I followed it up with Wonder Woman, the original Wonder Woman from 2017, directed by Patty Jenkins. Uh, this is Gal Gadot's first starring movie as Wonder Woman, and it sets up her origin and sets up a little more about how she got into the world of men. And she does a great job. And Patty Jenkins does a really great job at knowing how to use her, which is to show her doing cool things in slow motion in her fancy Wonder Woman outfit and doing it in the context of what her ideals are. And that's a very simple way of telling that story, and it works really well. This movie was a lot more fun, a lot more colorful than the Batman vs. Superman, and that is a good thing. The, the problems I have with the movie is, I think everyone's mentioned this, that the last act after they find out, um, after you find out who the real villain is and it turns into a CGI big battle, it's just too much. And I kind of glazed over at what was happening on the screen because it's not directed really well. It's not scripted really well. The stakes are pretty obvious and you know what's going to happen. You just need to wait for it to happen. So that's kind of a, a bummer. I also was a fan of the comedy in this movie. Chris Pine and Gal Gadot have some great chemistry. Chris Pine pays, plays the, the fighter pilot who she meets and kind of befriends along their, her journey to uh, save the world. And there's a fun scene where she winds up in the, in London and he is taking her on a shopping spree to get her on some, into some normal looking clothing. The problem is, and this is just poor writing, that that scene is fun, but it takes place at a very urgent moment when they have to deliver this very urgent information to the government that he had gotten about some weapon of war that was going to be developed that they needed to stop. And he is talking about how he needs to get this to the government immediately, but then they spend some time doing a kooky fashion show. Just poor writing. They could have easily have figured out a way to move that into a less tense time. Because I'm like, stop shopping. Just deliver the, the book. <laughs> So some dumb things like that. But overall, this was a fun movie and a solid, solid superhero movie. I give this one like a solid three stars. So check this one out if you haven't already. And if you haven't seen it, do not watch the next one I'm going to talk about, which I'm sure you have guessed already, is Wonder Woman 1984. Even if you have seen the original Wonder Woman, you probably shouldn't watch this one. It is not very good. Also directed by Patty Jenkins. Released in 2020 this year in the theaters and on HBO Max. 
I saw it on HBO Max because there's no way I'm going to a movie theater now and everyone else should stay home as well. But Wonder Woman is immortal. So she lived from the events of the first movie all the way through to 1984, looking as cool as she always does. And she winds up in this uh, situation where there's an artifact that can grant wishes and the person who gets a hold of it uses it to cause lots of havoc. The problem with the movie is that it starts off with a poorly executed action scene of Wonder Woman as a little girl that is supposed to set up a moral choice that never really comes into play. And after that poorly set up action scene, there's a poorly set up 1980s intro with a Wonder Woman doing her her thing, stopping some villains, and it's just really goofy. And there's a lot of missteps like that throughout the movie, including a climax that is really doesn't make, doesn't work at all. A lot of the movie doesn't work at all. They bring back the Invisible Jet uh, in a dumb sort of homage, I guess, to the show. Uh, Chris Pine is back in a very questionably uh, controversial way that is an interesting philosophical idea that is never addressed. Kristen Wiig is fun as the as the gawky, clumsy co-worker of Wonder Woman who gets a hold of this wish-making thing and turns into a villain of some sort too. And it's... Uh, she makes it watchable. Chris Pine makes it watchable because they both have just good screen presences but otherwise it's just not not a good movie at all so i do not recommend wonder woman 1984 and as for dc some of the other movies that i've seen in the past man of steel is completely forgettable i am looking forward to the snyder cut of justice league just to kind of see it as a i don't know as an experiment to see how better how much better it is than the one in the theaters which was not good at all aquaman was fun from what I remember, but also pretty forgettable. And uh, yeah, I think the problem is they just have no clear direction. And the vision that they have for the world is a little too serious. And it's already too big for its britches in a way. They've fallen behind the curve. There's not much that can be done with these larger-than-life characters that I can think of. But I'm not a filmmaker. I am just a person who likes watching movies, and I will continue to watch them if they continue to make them. But if they're all like Wonder Woman 1984, I will not uh, hold to that fact. So that is it for today's episode. But before I let you go, I must give you an uncommon film recommendation. And the movie I'm going to pick, staying in the superhero vein, is a movie from 2007 called Mirage Man by Ernesto Diaz Espinosa. Mirage Man is a sort of comic booky superhero movie, uh, but a realistic-ish superhero movie about this young guy who's really good at martial arts, and he saves this a woman from being assaulted. A woman has to be a reporter. And 
when he was doing it, he had put on a mask so no one could see who he was. And that starts these legends of a mirage man who goes about town saving people. And he decides to lean into those legends and use his martial arts skills to rescue people from around the town. And he does it because he is seeing the change in his younger brother who is institutionalized uh, with some some sort of condition that makes him depressed and not able to speak because of their parents' death. And it's kind of uh, goofy, but it's earnest, and it's got really great martial arts scenes and a cool soundtrack. Marco Zorora plays the lead, and he is known as the stunt double of The Rock in a lot of his earlier movies. So he definitely knows his stuff. So I'd recommend this one. It's fun. Uh, Watch it with some friends and you'll enjoy it. But do so remotely. That's Mirage Man, Ernesto Diaz Espinosa from 2007. Well, that is it, everybody. Remember, you can follow along with me on Letterboxd. My name is Long Monkey, all one word. And check out my projects and other writing and things at proleary.com. Good night and sweet dreams.